Last week we left where we were gathered around the throne. We were singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, is, and is still to come. As we left, the living beings gave glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne. The elders fell down and cast their crowns before the throne, and they sing, You are worthy, O Lord our God. Chapter 5, which is a continuation of the same vision, starts like this. And then I saw a scroll. Can you put the uh, chapter up there, please? Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break open the seals on the scroll and open it. But no one in heaven or on earth was, or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll... The four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. They held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings, the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Listen to what you just sang. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven, on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. I love Jesus. That's why I love Revelation. I love Jesus. That's why I love the church. I love Jesus. That's why I love what we do here on this platform. This is not art. This is worship. And there's an art to worship. But we love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. I love Jesus. That's why I do missions. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that I love Jesus so much is because of what he did for me at Calvary. And he said, 
He said that until every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every language had been evangelized, he would not return. So one of the reasons that I want to make passionate followers of Christ, one of the reasons I want to do missions is because I love Jesus and I want to see him return real soon. We come to you tonight because of the lamb that was slain. We can stand in your presence tonight not because of how good we are, or because of anything we have done, but because the Lamb has been slain. We stand tonight and we can sing Abba Father, the most intimate of terms. We can sing Daddy to the Lord God Almighty, awesome and terrible and holy, whom we cannot even look upon this side of heaven. And yet, we can say, Abba, 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 because we have been adopted and loved because of the blood of the Lamb. And tonight we come not to this holy book just because we're curious about the symbols and not just because we are curious, Lord, to be able to have conversations on end-time events, but because we want to know you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. So even as I look at this tonight and sing these songs, I can't help but say, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and prepare us for thy coming, O Lord. And now I pray that if there be anything in our hearts or in our minds, that would hinder us from studying and hearing this word tonight. For what we approach is so holy, you would let us see into heaven itself. God, I pray, forgive us of all of our sins and trespasses. And open our eyes that we might behold wonderful and glorious things from your word tonight. Holy Spirit, make it real to us, I pray. Make Jesus so real, for we love you, Lord. For it's in Christ's holy name I pray. And everyone that agreed said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Not to be dramatic, but I've done something tonight that I've never done in 40 years of ministry and left a district council service to come home and preach this service. I did it with apologies to my brothers and my superintendent, and, but because I believe it was so important to follow immediately upon the chapter that we preached last week from Revelation chapter 4 to be able to complete that sequence of thought before we go into chapter 6. And so, there's a part of me that would long to be there tonight for the ordination service and congratulating and loving and embracing all of those just like I was when I was ordained into the ministry so many years ago. But there's another part I knew I needed to be here tonight with you to share this. I say that again, not to be dramatic, but so that you can understand why worship and the time of prayer just now was so important. Because we come to these things not as mere spectators and not as people who just want to be able to say we've got an inside track. God wants us to understand revelation. But we come because we love Jesus. 
And if you don't love Jesus, you'll never get this book. You'll never get any of it. But if you don't really love Jesus, you'll especially never get this book. Does that make sense? It's just, you've got to be in love with Jesus to get this book and to love him so much. Verse 1, then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. Immediately upon that worship, John looks, as we closed last week, John looks and he sees someone that's sitting on the throne. Tonight, one of the songs that we sang, I believe it was the Revelation song, was talked about the colors and we talked about the rainbow the last two weeks that surrounded God's throne and we sang about that again tonight. It's a good thing to sing God's glory, but now he sees in the right hand of God he sees a scroll, and it's important to pay attention to some of the minor details that you might call them, but they're really major details. You see, scrolls were meticulously made. They were, at first, they were made out of papyrus and to, to, a, to a, 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 a biologic type of scroll that some that we still have in existence, and then they begin to use hides. And this was probably what John was seeing was a scroll that uh, had writing on the inside and the outside, which is very unusual because the scrolls typically only had writing on the inside. And what he's seeing here is he holds, sees that, number one, God holds the scroll. And we're not told just yet what the scroll is, and I won't go into all of that, but um, we are told about the seals that are upon it. There were writing inside and outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. The scroll, the seal was a witness. The seals on the scroll, the person who would have written the scroll, it might have been a will, it might have been a, a legal document, but the scroll would have been sealed, and I have one of those old seals and some wax, and they would take and they would tie together the, the, the scroll, they would tie it with a string, and then the witnesses would take their seal, which was typically a signet ring, they would melt some wax on top of the string, they would press their seal, remember we were just talking about the signet ring with the prodigal son and his father and his older brother just recently, and they would press that. And there would be several witnesses, especially if it was a will, it would be several witnesses, and these would be the testators. They would come when the will was to be read, and if the seal had been broken, then they knew that someone could have altered or modified the will and nullified the will. Well, these seals that are here are seven of them. Typically, there were six seals on a Jewish legal document. The seals were there to guarantee the accuracy and the truthfulness of the scroll. The, that was the whole purpose of the scroll, so that someone could come up and say, oh, I just found dad's scroll or I just found the king's scroll. The, the seals were there to ensure that those scrolls were accurate, but it also reserved the scroll so that only the rightful person would receive that scroll. So let's say, for instance, that if I had left a scroll for Rocky and I had asked Pat and I had asked Bob and others to, to witness that, and they put their seal upon it, when that time for that scroll to came, especially if it was a legal document, then Pat and Bob and whoever else I would have asked could have said, yes, this, is, this was the one that Pastor Clanton left for Rocky. These are our seals to guarantee the veracity and the truth of what was there. 
But in chapter 6, you're going to notice something a little different. And again, I, I have to go to chapter 6 just a little bit tonight to help you understand the symbols. But in chapter 6, you will notice that the seals are the attesting witnesses. There are seven of them that we'll read about. But those seals are the attesting witnesses. They are the testators that I was just talking about. You see this in Ezekiel chapter 2. You see another picture of this. There was two pictures of this in the Old Testament, and both of them involved a vision. Ezekiel looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and it held a scroll which he unrolled, and I saw that both sides were covered with funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. Now, it could have been a scroll announcing judgments. It might have been the scroll announcing the book of life. We will get to that. Just keep in mind, there's more to this than what we're going to be able to look at this evening. But what happens next is something that I think is very, very interesting, and I want to just walk you through the symbolism tonight, is there is a strong angel, probably an archangel, a strong angel that issues a challenge. Who is worthy to come and to take the seal and to open it. A strong angel shouted with a loud voice, who's worthy to break the seals on the scroll and to open it? And this symbolism of this angel coming to take the scroll, this is powerful because you realize the scroll is coming from the hand of God. John is seen into heaven. He's seen worship in heaven. He's seen things that are, remember last week we talked about time with God is not like time is with us. And John begins to weep. And the Greek word for weep there is he begins to wail. He begins to mourn because there doesn't seem to be a champion to open and to read the scroll. There is a hand extended from God to all creation with a scroll written upon it. John is curious because you don't see a scroll with writing inside and outside of the scroll. It's coming from the hand of God, but there's no one there to do it. And in this scene, unlike in the scene of Isaiah, when Isaiah was in the throne room, there is no coal of fire offered to purify the lips of anybody to come and open the scroll. You remember John, Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he fell down as a dead man and says, woe is me, for I've seen the Lord and this, 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 this angel took a coal from the altar. There's no purifying. There's, that's an important detail to remember because the Jewish people, these were primarily Jewish people as we went through those seven letters, you know that. The Jewish people would have understood all of this symbolism. And if we don't take time to study and understand these things, we will miss the symbolism. They would have immediately called on about Ezekiel's scroll with the writing inside and out. They would have immediately called on about the seals. And then in the next chapter, they would have called on whole. There's not six, there's seven. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of Okay, they would have immediately caught on to that. And then they would have also caught on to the fact that there was no one found worthy, no human being found worthy. And then suddenly the Lion of Judah steps forward. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. And the angel says to him, stop weeping. Look, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. And he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Circle that, that phrase, seven seals, in your outline. What I want you to see is, is that Christ, the resurrected Christ, the one who spoke to John in verse 1, the one who speaks to the seven churches, the one who said, come up hither and I'll show you what things must, and I can't help but quote out of King James when I don't have it right in front of me because that's what I learned. But he said, come on up here and I'll show you what's going to happen right afterwards. Now Jesus steps up. 
Remember, I kept telling you, Genesis, I would point these things out to you when we would get to Revelation. Remember the prophecy, the blessing that Jacob gave to Judah. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 9. Judah, my son, is a young lion that is finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah. How many of you remember us not too long ago? We were talking about the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all, say it again, isn't it interesting? It's not the Jews. It's all the nations. Now, that was not a racial statement. You're writing to Father Abraham. I mean, you're writing to Father Abraham's descendants. It's Father Abraham's grandson that's doing this blessing. He knows that they're the promised line. He knows they're the promised seed. But even all the way back then, as we talked about that night when I preached upon this passage, the Jewish people were meant to be a blessing to the nations and for the Messiah to come through. It's one of the reasons why we love the Jewish people. It's one of the reasons why, we're pray, why we pray for the return and the evangelization of the world because we believe that the return of Christ has a whole lot to do according to the book of Romans with that in-sweeping and that in-gathering of the Jewish people. You're going to see a Jewish revival if we're alive that long. You're going to see a Jewish revival that will make Jews for Jesus and all the other Messianic Jewish organizations that I've met and, and had the privilege of building friendships with, we're going to see a mighty move of God that's going to sweep the nation of Israel into the Lord. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's yet to come. That's yet to come. And our job is not to browbeat people or to put them down, but it's to understand the power of what you're hearing over and over in this chapter, and you will hear it over and over in Revelation. You heard it seven times in the book of Daniel, if you remember that, because when we went through Daniel, I pointed it out to you. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. You saw it all through the book of Daniel. Now it's all coming together in Revelation. I love Jesus. I can't wait to see him return. Can you say Amen. And so this gets exciting as you see John is weeping because he knows that even though Christ has been resurrected, he knows that even though the day of Pentecost has come, he knows that even though the church is spreading, there's still more to come. For Jesus had promised, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I'll come back and get you. I'm looking forward to the return of Christ. And you know, one of the curious things is this. Every major expression of Christianity believes in the return of Jesus. We may have some different opinions about how he's going to return and when he's going to return. I dealt with that in the first, uh, very first message of this, of this book, so I won't go back over that. But I will tell you, it's a foundational to our faith. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Well, the lion, as you know, we looked at this last week. The lion is the symbol of strength. But now, Revelation has a paradox that you have to understand to understand what's going to follow from here on out. I see people getting stumped on seals and bowls and harps. Those aren't the things to get stumped upon. And I have said this from the very first service I preached here in anticipation of one day I would preach through the book of Revelation. The very first service I preached here, and I've said it over and over and over again, it's not come on victory. It's not if you can stand the pull and God will pull you through. It's not you can swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk and spit the devil in the eye. It's this. 
that when you look at the center of the universe, what you see is not a lion, but you see a lamb that has been slain from the foundation of the earth. And the paradox of Revelation is the lion is a lamb. He's the lion of Judah, but he's the lamb of God. In verse 6, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders, and he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Now again, this early church These seven churches, they would have read this and suddenly their hearts would have begun to have palpitations. Is that how you say it? Is that how you say it? You don't know either, do you? So their hearts would have begun beating faster. If you'd have been here a few weeks ago, you'd have got that. Their hearts would have been beating faster. Their pulse would have been racing. They're getting this. They're seeing this. Because they know that the lamb is a symbol of helplessness. What is a lamb? Nobody expects a lamb to rescue them. The lamb is helpless when it comes to predators. The lamb is helpless especially when it comes to a lion. What was it that David did? He slew the lion and he slew the bear when he tried to attack his sheep. The lamb is helpless, and this lamb is a slaughtered lamb on top of that. In the next chapter in Revelation 6, you will see plagues that will begin to fall upon a disobedient world. And if you read Revelation 6 without getting and understanding Revelation 4 and 5, you will be so distressed. And I think that's what happens when people get into the book of Revelation. They go, oh, I just can't take it. I don't understand it. It's so depressing. It's not depressing. For Jesus is our Passover lamb and it is his blood that will protect us during God's judgments that fall in Revelation chapter 6. Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's what they, their hearts are beating. Their, their pulse is racing because when they see the lamb that has been slaughtered from the foundation of the earth, they remember Exodus chapter 12 and verse 23. For the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on top of the side, tops and sides of the door frame, where did that blood come from? The Passover lamb that every family was supposed to offer. The firstborn lamb, a lamb without defect. And a lamb that was not only slaughtered, but the family then ate it together, which my Jewish friends still continue to do to this very day on Passover. In Revelation chapter 6, Jesus, excuse me, in 5 and 6, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Let's finish to uh, Exodus 12, 23. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Let's jump ahead to Revelation chapter 7 because when those seals are being broken, suddenly an angel shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, wait, don't harm the land or the seas or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the forehead of his servants. I'm telling you, When I hear people get all upset and dismal, I say, would you just remember Goshen during the time when Egypt was in the land of the Pharaohs? And would you remember the time of the Passover lamb? Because once you understand the paradox of the revelation, that the lion is a lamb, then you understand that Jesus conquered not by force, but Jesus conquered by his death at Calvary. And that's what we celebrate. 
That's why a church has a cross. It's why, as I shared with you, I think a month ago now, it's why Protestant churches don't have a Jesus hanging on the cross. We have an empty cross because we believe in the resurrection. And I'm not... Take, I think it's beautiful and there's a lot of symbolism with the crucifix with Christ hanging on the cross that causes me to think and remember and reflect every time I see it. But what Christ wants you to remember is his resurrection. The reason that the pulpit is in the center is because of the word of God that is preached is supposed to come and, and to equip and to build and to feed the saints based upon what Christ did and the resurrection. The cross is the very foundation of history. The cross is that that we look back to. The cross is what all of history looks forward to. And no matter how much that people try, no matter how many societies, no matter how many governments, no matter how much power, no matter how much money has tried to erase the preaching of the cross, when the dust settles and the smoke disappears, the cross is always still standing. Amen. And it so scares people and it so bothers people do they do anything to try and hide the cross or to make the cross appear to be something that it's not? Today in China, in about two years, China will have what they call their social credit system. And social credit system is already in place in several major cities across China because the Chinese government has come to terms with the fact that tyrannical governments and dictatorships have not been able to force people to do what they want them to do through imprisonment and persecution. So now they have a fresh idea, and that fresh idea is let's reward people for doing what we want them to do, and let's penalize them for not doing what we want them to do. So if you, for instance, if you pick up litter, your social credit goes up. If you have a good job, your social credit goes up. If you help somebody, your social credit goes up. But in China, if you try to convert somebody, to Christianity, your social credit goes down. And what the social credit does, it's kind of like your credit rating here. It affects how much you pay for utilities. It affects how much you pay for insurance. And as I look at what China has been experimenting with and how Google has cavitated to their demands, and I watched the, the trials and the proceedings with Jeff Zuckerberg just recently in our government, and when Jeff Zuckerberg said, I will gladly give up some of our sovereignty, you know, some of our some of our say-so in Facebook, if the government wants to come and, and to give some guidance and protection, my first thought, this is what happens when big government and when big media get together because Facebook knows everything you do. They know what you buy, where you shop. They put the advertisements on there and then the government knows that. Friends, everything is shaping up for a time that is coming for this world like we've never known before. And that's why it's important that as we, before we get to those things, that we understand and have the foundation. It's why my strategy on Wednesday nights has been to preach us through the book of Romans, to preach us through the book of John, to preach us through the book of Daniel, and to preach us through the book of Revelation. So when we get to this book, we have the scriptural foundation to rest confidently. This book is good news for people who love Jesus Christ. It's good news for people who love Jesus. The horns are a symbol of God's power. You will see horns figure on again later in Revelation. We'll talk about that. But even in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, we talked about that. That the horns are a symbol of God's power. And what this is saying is that Jesus just simply depended upon God's power to raise him from the dead. 
Jesus simply depended upon God's power to raise him from the dead. Just recently, I was talking to a young woman who just got home from the Congo. And I shared with her about one of my childhood heroes from my home state who went to Congo to evangelize and began among the pygmies and began evangelizing in the jungles of the Congo and then moved to another part as they established churches and raised up pastors there and got a Bible college and then Congo went into its war. And they took this beloved missionary, former pastor from Georgia, and they hacked him to pieces and fed his body to the crocodiles. He gave his life for the cause of the gospel and for evangelizing in the Congo. At that time, less than 2% of the Congolese professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today, over 90% of the Congolese confess Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, that doesn't mean they're all passionately in love with Jesus. That doesn't mean they're all fully committed followers of Christ, but they profess Christianity. You see, we conquer by our death. We don't conquer by force. We don't depend upon armies. We don't depend upon tanks. As the Old Testament once says, we don't depend upon horses and chariots. Our trust and our confidence is in the Lord. Can we give him a hand of praise tonight? Hallelujah. And I tell you that every person that has given their life in the preaching of the gospel or in the evangelizing of lost people, God will too raise them from the dead. Resurrection is coming. Those who have died in faith, God will raise them from the dead. It's all of our hope because all of us have a destiny with death unless the rapture takes place first. All of us are headed towards that cemetery unless the rapture takes place first. But this is our hope that Christ conquered death, Christ conquered hell, Christ conquered the grave, not through armies, not through tanks. We always look for our heroes to be warriors of mighty strength, but the lion became a lamb, and it's the blood of Jesus that protects us from the powers of hell. Hallelujah! And I'm telling you, those churches would have been worshiping God and praising God at this point. The eyes are just simply the symbol that God is watching over his purposes. And I know that the Caesars... I know that those that were persecuting those early Christians were thinking to themselves, they're not going to be successful. This ragbag tag of little Christians, these, this little sect out of Judaism, as soon as John is dead, as soon as the rest of them are dead. And today, friends, God has kept his eyes upon the church and God's purposes are prevailing. That's why you're here tonight and that's why I'm behind this pulpit. It's because God watches over his word to perform it. And every promise that you claim in your life, you remember God watches over to perform it. I think the best illustration I can give you of this is from one of my favorite books that I enjoyed reading to my children. And I've just reread it again. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And you remember how that Lucy and Edmund, and they're so sad. As Aslan is wandering off because Edmund has sinned. Edmund deserves to die because of his treachery, and Aslan offers himself in his place. Aslan walks in. He's surrounded by all of the evil witches' uh, horde. They're yelling. They're taunting. You need to read the book. Even if you didn't read it to your children, you need to read the book and get the book and read it. And, and they bind him upon the altar, 
they tell her, the witch tells them, bind it tighter. Then they say, shave him, shave him. And you get all these images that Lewis is bringing in of how Christ's beard was plucked and how they shave him. And then they just say he's nothing but a cat. And then she bends down to him just as she's about ready to plunge the dagger into the heart of Aslan the lion. And she says to him, to Aslan, now who has won? Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor, Edmund? Now I will kill you instead of him as our pact was and so the deep magic will be appeased but when you are dead what will prevent me from killing him as well and who will take him out of my hand then understand you have given me Narnia forever you have lost your own life you have not saved his and the knowledge and despair die and that is what hell whispered into the ears of our Lord and yet our Lord knew that God's eyes and God's power God watches over his word to perform it that's why I love this book so much. It's the gospel. It's not weird. It's the gospel, and you can understand it if you just take a moment and do what you're doing tonight and just look at these things and then trace back through. Well, here's the news that Western Christians don't like to hear. Jesus then becomes our model for suffering. Jesus becomes our model for suffering. And I worry about the church. I do. I'm just, you know, this is not the rantings of an old man tonight. I think I have more vinegar in me now than I've ever had before in my life. But I worry because it seems like the church at large, it's what's good for me and my family and what's good for me and my little church. And, you know, give us something sweet. Give us something sugary. Don't give us meat and don't give us milk. This is meat tonight. This is milk. Don't call us to holiness. We want a Jesus that will let us live any way we want to live. Tell us how we can be successful, not how we can be faithful. You can't be successful until first you're faithful. You can have success, but not good success. Success comes from being obedient. And so what you see here is what Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, you're going to suffer. It's what Jesus said to so many believers, you're going to suffer. It's what Jesus said to his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I said it Sunday morning as I was preaching on missions, I have never suffered for, I've been ridiculed, I've been mocked, but I've never suffered for my faith in Christ. But I've been warning you for several years now, you need to be prepared because some of us are going to die for the cause of Christ. And this year, there was a young man, two years ago, there was a young man from our state, from the Assemblies of God, who literally gave his life in Libya, planting a church, preaching the gospel. One of our own young people who went there as a missionary associate. You see, friends, I love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're willing to suffer for Jesus. You don't bring suffering upon yourself. Paul addresses that and Peter addresses that. You, get, you bring no glory to God if you do something stupid and foolish or disobedient and you suffer for it. But when you're faithful to the gospel and you suffer, Christ is glorified. And the power of hell is broken. 
In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, let me go ahead to 6 again. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. The blood of that young man is under the altar of God, just like all the blood of those like Stephen before him. That's good company to be in. Can you say amen to that? The golden bowls are the prayers of God's people. I've already dealt with that, but just uh, let me just keep on moving here. The heavenly beings, it's after six, so I've got to wrap this up. The heavenly beings sing a, a new song of redemption to worship Jesus. Pastor Mark, would you come on up to the keyboard, dear brother? The heavenly beings sing a new song of redemption to worship Jesus. What's a new song? That's important, and, and I know it's 10 after, but we had a wonderful worship time, and just let me... Let me help you get this before we look at the application here for just a moment. And then next week, I'm going to come right back and I'm going to preach from this passage and we're just going to tie all these seals together, what I, the whole message is, all of these symbols together. You have certain psalms that were written just to praise God. The halal songs, beginning at Psalms 113 and I forget how many they go through. Mark, do you know those halal songs? But they're all songs of praise. They're songs that would be sang at Passover time. They were songs of redemption. But occasionally, the king or the priest would ask like Asa for somebody, write a new song. Write a new song about what God is doing in our midst. It's one of the things that Pastor Mark does for us from time to time, is he'll write a song for us. And I'm so grateful for his talents. He'll write a song for us. But you've got to see what's happening here because remember, I keep coming back to this not for dramatic effect. The Jewish people's hearts, these Jewish Christians, they're teaching these Gentile Christians. Their hearts are racing. Their pulse is just, just going as fast as it can because Jesus is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And they sing, they bow and worship to the one who was worthy. And Jesus receives that worship at the right hand of the Father. You can't separate them. They're the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. You can't separate them. And they begin to sing to him, for you were slaughtered, and your blood is ransomed people from God, for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. They're going to be people from China. They're going to be people from ISIS. They're going to be people from Afghanistan. They're going to be people who get saved out of Hezbollah. They're going to be people that get saved out of Buddhism. They're going to be people that get saved out of Tibet. What a miracle, wouldn't it be, if God delivered the Dalai Lama from the demonic oppression that makes him think he's God and all of a sudden he comes face to face with the living great I am and confesses Jesus as Lord. I'm telling you from every tribe and every language and every nation and every tongue, just like Daniel said, there are going to be people around that throne and they're going to sing the same song that you and I sang here tonight. For you were slaughtered and your blood is ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and nation. Look at this. And you... You, Lord, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. You had to be, you had to be born into a priestly family. You didn't get to choose to be a priest. There was only one high priest and 
then there are a bunch of other priests. And if you were a priest like Zechariah, you hear me preaching at Christmas time, you get one chance to serve and to go into the Holy of Holies. And there, they're being told, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. Look at your neighbor tonight and say, I'm a priest. You are. Look at your husband tonight if he's here and say, hello, Father. You found that hard to do, didn't some of you ladies? <laughs> oh, celebrate it. You're a priest. We're a kingdom of priests in the church tonight. What does this mean? For the suffering church, when it looks like it's time to retreat, it's time to advance. You see, a lot of times people want to retreat and God says, look, you're only going to suffer 10 days. I put an end, I put a beginning. It's time to advance. Revelation is about God's global glory in Jesus Christ through every nation tribe. The glory of God is you tonight. I didn't even have time to go through, think about it. Everything above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth is going to praise God. We'll, we'll deal with that next week. And then loving Jesus, it means going into all the world. I want to say something, and I hope that you'll take it in the spirit I mean it. You don't love Jesus. You don't love Jesus until you love lost people. You don't love Jesus until you... You can say, I love Jesus, but if you don't love lost people... And why, why call people your enemy that God calls his harvest? Why call people your enemy? I think the talking heads and the politics has gotten way too hostile in our times. I'm telling you, the enemy is the harvest tonight. And we conquer not by force... We conquer by the Spirit of God. Amen? Stand with me tonight. I'm sorry to keep you so long. Jesus, I want to sing this new song of praise and worship to you. I want to this week just be able to share with someone how good you've been. <laughs> God, I, I've never suffered like Pastor J.W. Tucker suckered. Lord, he left a sweet, small congregation in South Georgia <laughs> and went all the way to Congo and loved the pygmies and then gave his life, Lord, suffering for your sake, suffering for them. And today, most of Congo calls you Lord. So I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, would you make us not only rejoiceful or rejoicing and thankful for our blessings, but would you cause us to remember Isaiah 56 says that you are the stability of our lives. And God, when suffering comes, we will not falter because the cross is solid ground. And I pray you'll send everybody home tonight with a sense of great stability in their heart.